0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus the Liberating King and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven.
1: So Tuesday evening, almost two weeks ago, uh, my wife Lauren and I were were doing what what I imagine many parents were doing at that same time, many of of you doing at the same time, talking to our kids about what had happened at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. Uh, Mara and Miles will be in the second and third grade, respectively, in the fall. Um, So just a few years uh, younger than those 19 children who were taken in this horrible tragedy. 24 hours later, I was on the soccer field with Miles for the end-of-season parents-versus-kids scrimmage. Now the parents had one goal, two goals going into this practice. The first goal, uh, teach these eight-year-old Beckham wannabes who's still boss, right? Uh, Goal number two, don't get injured. Now we succeeded in goal number one, narrowly. These kids have gotten pretty good. Um, As for goal number two, uh, let's just say that my calf muscle was not sufficiently elastic for the demands that I placed upon it. And so the following day, Thursday, I, I hobbled into my thankfully already scheduled uh, annual physical, uh, carrying with me not only a few extra pandemic pounds, you know, like like many of us, uh, but also with the aid of my newly purchased cane. Um, and then on Sunday, uh, I proceeded to uh, I, I was. Uh, dismantling a fallen limb. A large limb had fallen from a tree in our backyard and, and a large portion of it recoiled and knocked me literally off my feet. I had a massive welt. I was really concerned about midweek that I was going to be preaching to you on one leg and with a head wound, but thankfully there's been uh, healing in the meantime. Uh, but it started to feel like being hit by these recurrent waves of this, this same melancholy reminder. Our time on this earth, so precious, and so fleeting. My time with my kids so precious and fleeting. Our bodies, our our mobility and health so precious and ultimately so fleeting. Psychologist uh, Susan David articulates it perfectly. She says that life's beauty is inseparable from its fragility. So if you weren't with us last weekend, I'd urge you to revisit the podcast or the online service. Uh, Pastor Chris shared a message from Uvalde about how we respond in times of such deep pain and grief, the kinds of circumstances we never would have chosen and, and these events that leave us forever changed. And I hope that what the Spirit has led me to wrestle with this week will feel like a bit of a continuation of that conversation. So you may know that we are still in the beginning stages of a new series that will continue guiding us through the remainder of the summer as we seek uh, insights and and wisdom and from the stories, the voices, the witness of women throughout the Christian tradition uh, and Christian history. Pastor Sean reminded us a couple weeks ago that, that what you focus on often determines what you miss. And many of us come from uh, church traditions, theological traditions in which women's voices were not emphasized, not heard, often marginalized or even silenced. And and so I'm so grateful that in the coming weeks you'll hear from amazing women in our community, Erica Graham, Ruth Turley, uh, Rochelle Palmer among them. And so today I want to invite you into a story that honestly was not familiar to me until uh, recently, but someone who has been a figure of of some notoriety over the past half century, I'd like to introduce you to Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, She was born in Maryland in 1949, and Johnny had a fairly ordinary childhood. She was always active. She loved uh, hiking, swimming, riding horses, and at 14, she professed her faith in Jesus but was still battling a sense of that, that newly adopted faith feeling uh, shallow, surface level, that her concerns had remained largely superficial. And she has recounted that around the time of her senior year, she was praying fervently for, for God to, um, to disrupt those rhythms, to, to, to shake things up, to bring her into a, a deeper sense of reliance. And I want to uh, let you hear from Johnny herself about what happened next as she shares her story. Just a few weeks
0: after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom, and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me. But for what purpose, for what reason, because now Lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea? I'm an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you. If it is, you're never gonna be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression.
1: And so Johnny has spoken often about the early days of of her occupational therapy in which she experienced feelings that are probably unsurprising, anger and depression, thoughts of suicide, doubts about God. What kind of an answer to prayer is this? We hear her ask. Why do these things happen? Divine mystery doesn't cut it. I want an explanation, right? And so her journey, and in particular, this critical turning point, reminds me of the story of Jacob. Now, now we're introduced to Jacob as, as the one who grabs the heel of his, his firstborn twin, Esau. And he's self-seeking. He's, he's devious. He's conniving at every turn. And he takes advantage of his father Isaac's infirmity and steals his older brother's birthright. Later on, he, he defrauds Laban before fleeing with Laban's daughters and, and, and profiting from, from Laban's flocks. And where we pick up, Jacob is, is returning to his home country to, to face the music. And, and he's received word that Esau is on his way to meet him. And Jacob is understandably concerned, logically concerned that, that Esau is coming to kill him. And so Jacob has gathered, hastily gathered this, this uh, peace offering, uh, all this livestock, And the night before the reunion, the traveling party rests near a stream, and we pick up in Genesis 32, and the story tells us that Jacob was left alone, and a man, this mysterious angelic figure, grabbed hold of him and wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the angel said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven, contended with God and with humans and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And the figure said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And so Jacob is disabled from this day onward. And it would be missing the point entirely to suggest that this disability, this limp, was any kind of punishment, any kind of of curse that's not the God we witness throughout the scriptures. You may uh, remember in John chapter nine that Jesus happening upon this, this man who had been blind from birth. And the, the disciples presume a, a spiritual failing must be the cause or some kind of generational curse. And they ask Jesus, well, well who was it that sinned, this man or his father? And Jesus j- just has to shake his head. Guys, what are you talking about? Neither, he tells them. It isn't about sin. He was born blind so that God's works would be revealed in him. And that's what we get wrong often about stories of of disability and healing throughout the Gospels. This blind man, or a paralytic, a leper, a man with a withered hand, a woman suffering hemorrhages, a woman with a crippling spirit. All of these figures that we know not by name, but by malady. But in all of these cases, Jesus shows us that it was about much more than bodily healing, but about relational wholeness. The word often used is is sozo. It's about holistic restoration. It's It's about calling out the injustice of the religious and social systems that have led to these individuals being expelled in the first place. Curing isn't the end all. And the truth of the matter is that the only true healing there is is eternal healing. Everything between now and then is healing. It's a process. Pain returns. Grief and loss return. Heartache returns. Our departed sister, Rachel Held Evans, says it this way, that that there is a difference between curing and healing. And the church is called to the slow and difficult work of healing. We are called to enter into one another's pain, anoint the sick and stick around no matter the outcome. And so we do that not only in the face of of cancer diagnoses and treatment or of hospice care, but after natural disasters, through addictions. In Ukraine, I'd love to invite you to stick around after this service at 12.30. We'll be gathering in the church offices downstairs as as Pastor Mitzi, um, Patrick, a few others who uh, took part in serving along the Poland and Ukraine border in recent weeks are gonna be sharing their stories of the relationships that we've built and the ways that we continue uh, to serve in these times of crisis. But in the grief that's being experienced in, in Uvalde, all of these places in which there is no easy cure, but there might be incremental relational healing. And in the case of Johnny Erickson Tata, she found herself surrounded by so many who encouraged her in the midst of her quadriplegia, not to offer false hope, but simply to love her and encourage her as she was. And it was through those relationships that she found assurance that God had not abandoned her. And over the past 50 years, Johnny has been a disability advocate and a singer, an author of of several dozen books, and and perhaps most notably and and most incredibly as an artist, these meticulous pastel landscapes and religious scenes. And and as you might imagine, uh, during her rehabilitation, this required her to develop a very unique artistic process. Take a look.
0: I don't work as big anymore. This is probably my last big thing that I'll do. I'll probably work very small now, just, you know, five by seven, just small mm-hmm. vignettes. Inspiration is just landscapes, I love. Uh, I miss the east, I'm from Maryland, so. You know, I miss snow, I miss, so I do a lot of um, winter scenes, I really do. I love to sing, I love my artwork, and all these things are modes of expression. I mean, God has given us all gifts and talents, and we're to use them, we're to exercise them, but I think especially art and music are ways to, mm, Express—it's an overflow. It's a, my cup runneth over when I sing. It's—it's it's an overflow, uh, as is my artwork—an um, expression of of things that are uniquely me, very personal, something nobody else can do. My goodness, I paint with my mouth. Hello, <laughs> I mean even my dentist thinks that's quite remarkable. But to do something that's so private and personal and put it out there not only for the encouragement of others, but for God's glory. Um, that gives me such a sense of satisfaction.
1: I love her little shimmy there at the end. It just makes me smile. I really hope that you are surrounded by strong women of faith who have that, that joy shimmy to them. Uh, but it's remarkable. And, and with Johnny, as with Jacob, the disability became a sign of God's graciousness. I've been absolutely loving a, a new book by disabled scholar, Dr. Amy Kenny. It's called uh, My Body Is Not A Prayer Request. And even that title is a sermon in, in and of itself. Um, but it's a beautiful testimony, and it's a convicting challenge to the ableism in our culture and in our churches. A- ableism, to borrow a definition uh, by Talila Lewis, it, it being the ways that we, uh, implicitly place value on people's bodies. We place value on people's minds based upon societally constructed ideas of normalcy or of uh, intelligence or excellence or productivity. And Johnny and Jacob's stories stand in defiance of that idea. Dr. Kenny tells us that God's desire is for transformative relationship, not productivity or independence. God doesn't want Jacob to manufacture prosperity or swear an empty oath of allegiance to an insurance policy faith. Instead, God is willing to wrestle for Jacob to learn how to limp. God is after transformation and healing, even when it manifests differently than we expect. And so in terminology, I use disability because that's the word that Johnny uses. That's the word that Dr. Kenny uses. Uses, But those living with disability are not a problem or a project. Those existing across the spectrum of neurodivergence are not a problem or a project. These are image bearers whose unique embodiments are prophetic witness who model to all of us these these transformative truths. So I want to suggest a few. The blessing of a limp teaches us that our identity is not what we produce or achieve. And we see it in this story. Jacob, no longer the deceiver, obsessed with obtaining more and more at any cost, more goats, more rams, more camels, cows, bulls, more donkeys, more wives, more wealth. He longs for a new name, a truer identity. And he's granted one, instead Israel who wrestles through the night and seems to undergo this, this complete internal change, gratitude, all of a sudden, humility, all of a sudden, this, this, this desire, this, this readiness to seek forgiveness and healing. And so Jacob has learned the willingness to be vulnerable rather than this obsessive need to project strength, that this, this projection that's so prevalent in our culture. Remember, the Lord tells us My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. The blessing of a limp helps us to slow down and see one another differently. We're told that Esau runs out to meet Jacob. Obviously, Jacob cannot do the same, but as he he hobbles forward, he watches this brother whom he has deeply wronged with arms outstretched, this brother now ready, eager to re- reconcile. And, and Esau is taken aback by all that, that Jacob has brought with him in this, these, these efforts to make amends for his debt. And, and, and the story goes on in Genesis 33 that Esau says, w- w- what do you mean by all this, this company I met? And Jacob answered, well, well, to find favor with my Lord, I'm here to make it right. But Esau said, I, I have enough. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. And and Jacob said, no, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see you, see your face, is like seeing the face of God since you've received me with such favor. Please accept my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. After all of this winding journey, he has found contentment. And so he urged him, and he took it. So Jacob used to see a competitor, and now he sees a brother. How often do we miss one another simply because we have have failed to slow down, that we take no time to slow down to see one another? How much sadness, anger, shame, hatred builds up in the hearts of those who commit violent acts like we have seen so often in recent weeks and recent years, in part, in part because those in their lives, in their circles, have not slowed down to see them. How often do we see an obstacle or a problem before we see a person? And this becomes an invitation. Whomever may be a source of of disturbance or, or conflict in your life, whoever feels like an obstacle, what would it look like? What's standing in the way of seeing this individual or these individuals with compassion, forgiveness? Maybe you're the one that needs to seek forgiveness. They're limping too. And the blessing of a limp reminds us of our limits. Johnny Erickson Tata continues to run an international foundation which, among other things, uh, refurbishes, collects uh, used wheelchairs and other mobility devices so that they can be uh, refitted and then deployed into uh, nations, developing nations uh, often around the globe in need, where disabled individuals still face significant marginalization. She served on national councils and organizational boards She's been a four-decade presence on the radio and continues in her 70s to speak at conferences and, and publish daily devotionals. She's very busy. I know because I called her people and I tried to talk to her. And she, she wanted to, but she couldn't. I couldn't get it in the schedule. Very busy. She did give me the blessing to share her story with you all. Uh, so she knows and is praying for us today as a community. But she's also battled cancer twice. And continues to navigate the reality of chronic pain, recognizing often, forced to recognize often the need to pause. And Dr. Kenny writes of her own experience and and that of other uh, disabled individuals, that, that we represent people's worst fears. To many, we bear the marks of judgment, decay, or disease. But in reality, we display the prophetic witness of what is true for all humans, All bodies are interdependent and fragile. Ours just make it more evident. And she suggests to us that there are not these these categories of of able-bodied and disabled bodies, but only those who are disabled and those who are temporarily non-disabled. I like that. We all have strengths and we all have... Needs and these things fluctuate over time. With 10 fully operational fingers, I could not begin to rival the work that that Johnny does with a paintbrush between her teeth. And the divine winking irony of of all of this is that I had actually planned to tell Johnny's story even before I I nearly tore my calf muscle into, and what I am not doing is claiming any kind of understanding of the disability community simply because I have been slightly hobbled for a few days. But my body did send me a clear message. It's time to slow down. And I know that yours does too in its own way. God does for each of us and we aren't always the best at listening. And perhaps this summer season may be an invitation to do just that. Or even more importantly, to help provide that allowance, that spaciousness for someone else in your life who needs it. Because we're a people diverse in body and our bodies are diverse in ability and our minds are diverse and divergent in function. Our hands are diverse in dexterity. Our imagination's diverse in in artistry. I, I don't know your unique limp, but I know you've got one we all do. And so we see the way of Jesus in the story of Johnny Erickson Tata, this this submission to tragic circumstances, but through which pain and seeming despair are transformed into blessing and healing and hope for countless others. And so that's my invitation. If we all of us commit to a more vulnerable path, to lay down this obsessive projection with with strength and achievements, to find the blessing in our weakness. If we reach out a steadying hand to others along this journey with us, that is the road to healing. Life's beauty and life's fragility, it's inseparable. When describing the great cloud of witnesses, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff, his walking stick. The limp is with us until the very ends. And so whether on two feet or two wheels, may it be this slow path that we're content to walk and may it be this slow path that we walk together. Amen. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.